On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about, well, a couple various things, uh, handling disagreements and instrumental music. Yeah, there are two, we got two rather lengthy emails from some of our listeners, and uh, we thought we'd just sort of divide the program up tonight. And, oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, and so, we, there so we go. There they, we may go. Be, they may be more related than we thought, you know, we might have some disagreements on instrumental music, and we might want to talk about how to handle those. Yeah, but anyway, the two questions that came in are how to handle disagreements and some follow-up questions about instrumental music. We want to deal with those on the virtual. We'll Bible get study. started right after this. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we're back on the virtual bible study tonight uh, welcome to the program this is the virtual bible study for thursday january 11th 2018 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad great great to be with you jacob i think i got my volume turned yeah, you all now. settled in there yeah, yeah, all right yeah. ready for ready to go and uh, monty's behind the controls tonight monty welcome to the program thank you jacob it's good to be here yeah you're doing you're doing good over there on your side i don't know about the, the other guy over here he's uh, no, i'm here yeah see he's all he's a little bit out of out of sorts here tonight uh, maybe oh, oh, maybe can, that thing came back on again. maybe maybe monty and i will uh, have yeah, a maybe program you tonight you, yeah, yeah you go ahead you just hold on tight over there um we're glad that you're listening tonight we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com in the chat room listeners are signing in as they fill in the chat room tonight uh get in there and Hang on. Share your oh, comments. I see that I have not got listeners. us going on. Uh, on um, all right. Well, you just keep going there. Facebook. Let we want to remind you about our website. It is thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can find uh, episodes that we've pre- presented on the Virtual Bible Study for now. Going on 13 years. Uh, check it out there if you've never been to our website. Maybe you're listening to us on Apple Podcast or uh, maybe some other podcast receiver. Check us out at thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can also find a link uh, to our yearly Bible reading calendar. Uh, if you want to get online and check that out, or you want to send us an email, it's not too late. It's getting we're real close to that threshold where it'd be too late for you to to start at the first and of the get, year and get caught up and get but, caught up. But if you want a calendar or a bumper sticker, send us your mailing address to questions at collegeview.com. Yeah, uh, I think we've got everything working now. I didn't have the link on uh, to our program on Facebook, but I do now. So All right. you can be watching us uh, at our website, uh, the embedded video, or you can be watching on Facebook because the Facebook link takes you to Ustream, yep. and right. you can see us on Ustream. Okay, a couple YouTube, of YouTube. A couple of questions tonight uh, from various listeners uh, that uh, we want to talk about. Yeah, let's start out with this one from Aaron. And I sent these uh, emails, copies of these emails out in our update uh, post earlier today. Okay. We always tell people, get on our update list so you know what we're talking about on Thursday night. We'll send it out about noon on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to our update, send us an email if you're not on that, and we'll get you on it. Uh, but to our update list, I just thought this was rather interesting from a listener named Aaron who says uh, – 
Uh, I'm struck by how often the two of you are in seemingly perfect agreement with one another. Or rather, I'm surprised that in all of the episodes I've listened to, I've never heard the two of you disagree. It could be that as father and son that you're just that alike. It could be that you've come to agreement to never voice disagreements on the air. Either way, it's surprising to me that I'm yet to hear you come down on opposite sides of any issues. I thought it uh, that your listeners might benefit from hearing you two talk about how to handle disagreements. So that's what we want to do. We want to talk about handling disagreements. Because I do think disagreements are bound to come up. And but there's never been a secret agreement by the two of us to never voice a disagreement on the air. No, that's true. And I, we may have we may have come at things from a different angle on a few times, a few things, but uh, I think we're in pretty good agreement. What's what's underlying uh, those comments is a, a an idea that I think is very prevalent in the religious world, and that is the idea that it's impossible. To That's be right. in agreement yeah. about what the Bible teaches. That's this guy, this this Aaron, uh, and I thank you for the kind tone in your letter. But it's clear that he has the idea that it just doesn't seem reasonable that two Christians could study their Bibles and come to a very close agreement on a wide variety of subjects. And I just think that that's a mistake, a mistaken opinion about the Bible. The Bible is God's perfect revelation to mankind. To suggest that we cannot read it and agree actually indicts God that he wasn't able to make a document that men could understand. Yeah, it is, the, it is a common paradigm uh, in the religious world that there's going to be religious diversity and uh, dissension and that we can't come to an agreement. But yet it is a command, and it's what we're striving for in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our aim, is that we're to be coming. It's not that God is happy that, well, you have your opinion he has his opinion. You both agree to disagree. That's fine. Now, God expects us to be working towards this unity of the faith. Yeah, and and we're even commanded to understand, uh, uh, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, Ephesians 5, verse 17. Ephesians 3, uh, verse 3, by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So um, we're acknowledging that disagreements are, are a reality. What we want to be careful, though, is to lay the blame for those disagreements of the fact that we have a revelation that is somehow flawed. It's not flawed. If there's a, if there's a disagreement, it's our problem. If there's a disagreement, you're wrong and I'm right. I'm wrong and you're right, or we're both wrong. But the problem is with us. It's not with the revelation. All right. In fact, Jesus prayed that we would be unified. Now, notice his prayer in John 17, verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. That'd be us. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus prayed that we would all be one. We just have to stop and ask ourselves the question, does the religious environment that we live in today look like what Jesus was praying for? Uh, Monty, you would believe that um, adultery is acceptable. I would agree that adultery is not acceptable. Uh, you would agree divorce for any cause. I would agree divorce for only one scriptural reason. That's not what Jesus was praying for. Uh, it's not acceptable. You know, Jacob, ultimately, if we both understand what the Bible is saying, 
then we're going to agree on it. If 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 we, if there's a difference in our understanding, then one or both of us hasn't really understood it. Uh, when we get down to it, it's translated into English, and if we'll look at the words and look up the definitions of the words and study the context of it, we can see what it means. So if we're having a misunderstanding about it or a disagreement, one of us or both of us doesn't understand what the Bible's saying. Okay. I think that's right. I think that's a good way to put it, that if there, if we don't agree... At least one of us has a misunderstanding rather than an understanding of what the Bible teaches. It could be both of us. We could both be wrong. But the problem is with our, with us, not with how God has revealed himself. The, uh, Aaron goes on with his email and said, There are a myriad of issues in the Bible that don't require unanimity in order for there to be unity among brethren. These are so-called matters of liberty, he says. I thought it would be an interesting episode if the two of you would demonstrate that two earnest brothers could have different opinions on biblical matters and yet still demonstrate unity. Uh, he says this happens, maybe unknown most of the time, but it happens in churches all across the world. Then he went on to supply a list of things that often cause disagreements and differences of opinion but don't necessarily have to lead to a lack of unity or something as serious and as sad as a church split. Though surely some churches have split over the things in this list. Uh, he says in this list we could find a handful on which the two of you, maybe on this list we could find a, uh, a handful on which you two disagree. And then you could explain how you come to your conclusions. Well, the list, and I gotta tell you, there's four pages of items here. When I printed off this email, it was, there, there are four pages of items. I, I was overwhelmed when I initially got this, uh, um, email from Aaron that he could think up so many things, uh, issues that might we might disagree about, that there might be division about. Uh, I, I, was, I was just amazed at all. The, and, and I'm not going to, it would take most of the rest of the program to, to even read, let alone comment on all those Thank things. Thank you, Aaron, for taking the time to do that. Yeah, we appreciate the effort, Aaron, for sure. But here's the thing. In this list, he's got what I argue would be a a blending of things that we must agree about with things that we don't have to agree about. Let me give you an example. Now, in this list is the subject, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Godhead. I think we got to agree about that. But then just after that, he talks about which translation of the Bible to use and whether or not we should say thee and thou when we address God in prayer. I don't think those things belong on the same list. Uh, he mentions so, the qualifications of elders, but then he mentions, is it okay to dim the lights while we have prayer? Well, he, I, what I'm saying, and, and there's, a, there's a whole lot of this in his list, and we don't have time to go through the whole list on the air, but what I'm saying is, yes, there, there are doctrinal issues about which we must agree. We've got to agree about the qualifications of elders. If we're going to work together in local congregations, and if we're going to have and appoint elders, we've got to agree about the qualifications of the men who serve as elders. They're pretty plainly spelled out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But whether it would be okay to dim the lights while we're having prayer in a church service, that's purely a, a, a matter of judgment. Now, I probably have an opinion about that, but it, I don't think you would sin by dimming the lights or not dimming the lights during the worship service. So I think Aaron makes a good point here that there are matters of liberty, and uh, and we need to be, I guess, wise enough to discern when we're talking about a matter of liberty and we're talking about a matter of faith. I think that's exactly right. So, so that leads then to this discussion. How do we handle disagreements? 
And and uh, I, I think there's some things we've got to do. If dif- disagreements come up, and they're going to come up, if someone is going to say, I disagree with you about that. In other words, if it's important enough to voice a disagreement, then I should be ready to say why I disagree. Uh, if it's just purely a matter of they made a decision to paint the walls green and I wanted them blue. I disagree with you about blue. I wanted green. I don't even have to voice that disagreement. That's purely, absolutely a matter of judgment. Uh, and and I should I should be ready to submit that if there's no reason uh, for the disagreement, if, if it's not if it's not substantive, I've got to decide uh, why I disagree and why I think it's worthy of noting my disagreement or making a point of my disagreement. And this goes to the point I think you were making earlier, Jacob, about striving for unity. I think there's some brethren who just don't, it's not even on their radar screen to think, if I do this, if I say this, if I bring up this matter, it is clearly a matter of judgment and it's not a matter of doctrine. If I'm going to voice my disagreement, I could cause trouble by voicing this disagreement. It could, it could produce strife in the local congregation. I can just keep this to myself. If, if, if they're going to paint the walls that color different than what I would have painted it if it was my judgment, I don't have to. I don't have to bring that up. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. You had it caught me in the middle of something here, uh, but yeah, I think the idea of, of of peace and maintaining peace is something that we have to certainly uh, be striving for and uh, and working for the things that are going to promote peace and unity. Yeah, and part of that is me getting being able to separate between things that are judgment and preference and things that are matter of doctrine and faith. And as Aaron has mentioned in his email, many of the things probably on his list are things that are matters of judgment that people have not been able to separate from matters of doctrine and have caused issues and have uh, disrupted the peace and unity of a congregation over those matters of judgment. If, if I cannot explain why... What I'm objecting to is scripturally wrong. If I cannot explain that, then I need to keep studying till I can explain it, or I need to just admit that this is just not my preference. And if it's if it's a matter that's just not my preference, then I need to do what First Peter five verse five says: All of you be subject one to another. And we're not going to be subject to one another in matters of doctrine, but in matters of opinion or judgment. We need to be ready to submit and not and not cause issues. That that's how we maintain unity. In matters of judgment, we submit to one another. Uh, but in matters of doctrine, we're going to be like the Apostle Paul was in Galatians chapter two, verse five, when some some Judaizing teachers were trying to insist that Gentiles be uh, circumcised. He said, "To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you." So in judgment we submit, but if it's a if if we're determined that this is a doctrinal issue, then then we can't we can't compromise and and that's where we have to to work to come to agreement if this if unity is going to be maintained. All right, and so and that I think is another paradigm shift, if you will, in the religious world today, and that is if we don't agree, there's real really no emphasis 
or urgency in us coming to an agreement. The, the religious world today is perfectly satisfied. Well, you believe there are three beings in the Godhead? I believe that it's just Jesus and different manifestations. Well, that's okay. We'll just disagree. No, it's imperative that we come to an agreement. And so we need to get busy working to understand the truth on that subject or whatever subject we may disagree upon if it's a matter of doctrine. Uh, but the world today is just perfectly fine and happy with a wide variety of understandings on important and uh, vital uh, yeah, matters. The, the religious world has decided it doesn't matter, but you can't come. You can't find that in God's word. So in dealing with disagreements, the very first element, I think, has to be, I've got to make this distinction. Is it judgment or is it doctrine? And then based on that, I'm going to go two different routes. If it's judgment, if it's if it's a, a, a matter of opinion, then I can and should. I'm actually commanded to submit to others about that and not insist that my way be followed. Yeah. If it's doctrine, that's a different path. If it's doctrine, then I've got to stand for what I understand the truth to be, and I cannot compromise that. So first, uh, we're up to break time, but the first, the first element in dealing with disagreements is decide this. Decide if it's doctrine or opinion. All right. We're going to break. When we go back, get back, we'll continue uh, the discussion. 8566 says, so what's on the list of must-agree doctrinal issues? And uh, Joan says, I would like uh, the topic of disagreement to be related to everyday issues in relationships. Okay, so Joan says, how do we deal with disagreements in everyday relationships? We we've, we've touched on that a little bit. We can maybe touch on that a little bit when we get back. Okay. We're going to get a break, and we'll get your thoughts. The best way for your voice to be heard is for it to literally be heard on the phone at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study is back right after this. Enjoying the Virtual Bible Study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Joel Gwynn, and a member of the College View Church of Christ with something for you to think about regarding our children. A survey published in the periodical Pulpit Helps analyzed the question of faithfulness among the children of churchgoers. The results are interesting. It was found that faithfulness in kids was not a function of the size of the congregation, the number of classes and special programs sponsored by the church, the effectiveness of the youth minister. Instead, here is what was discovered. In cases where both parents were faithful, and active, 93% of their children remained faithful to their religious training. When only one parent was faithful and active, the percentage dropped to 73%. When parents were only reasonably active, attended services, but that's all, their kids remained faithful only 53% of the time. And finally, when the parents attended the assemblies only infrequently, the children's endured at a mere 6% level. The results of this survey are interesting, but not terribly surprising. We've known all along that people, including children, often learn more from example than from the words they hear. That's why Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Matthew 5:16. Parents, have you considered applying Jesus' concept right there in your own home? Are you letting your light shine before your kids? Survey results. Our own common sense and the Bible tells us that this is the only hope that we have to bring them up fearing God. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Everyone thinks of changing humanity, and no one thinks about changing himself. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. Darwin knows better now. Man, wish I'd said that. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program uh, dealing with a question from Aaron. Aaron, we appreciate your communication and your correspondence with us, uh, asking about how to deal with disagreements and uh, how do you how do you maintain unity. Uh, we're looking at that on uh, the program tonight. Monty, you've had some thoughts uh, as you listen to the discussion tonight. Well, we've talked a lot about matters of judgment. If there's something that I feel like is a matter of judgment that it ought to be done a certain way, I should probably express that opinion and get that out and we'll discuss it, but I shouldn't insist that my judgment be followed. It may be that my judgment is the best way, and if I express it, others will agree that that's how we ought to do it and go along with it, but I don't have to bind my judgment or opinion on anyone because that that wouldn't be right. Uh, I thought about in Aaron's thing that he talked about disagreements, and we never disagreed on the program before. Uh, once six or seven years ago when I was here helping, Greg said something, and I don't have a clue what it was. And I disagreed with him, and I expressed that disagreement. And Jacob said, yeah, I think that's right. And you thought about it a minute and said, I believe you all are right. And so we went on. But it wasn't that we had to get in a big heated argument about it. We could discuss what how we understood the scriptures and think about it a minute and come to a conclusion on it. And so I think an open, intelligent discussion about things and with the primary emphasis on what does the Bible say about it, not what my opinion is, but what does God say on the matter, and then what God says is it, and that's the end of it. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I, I think you make a good point that if I have an opinion, there's nothing wrong with me expressing my opinion. You know, we, we all have opinions, and typically we think our opinion, we, we have an opinion because we think that's right, or we think that's best. And so as we work together in a local congregation, there are going to be some judgment calls that come up, some matters of expediency. We just recently used that word a ton of times as we've been talking about Bible authority. And so the, the, the brethren get together to discuss this. Uh, um, you know, what are we going to do? Well, I got an opinion. You know, it, it may be about mowing the church lawn. I got an opinion about how that should be done. And so I'm gonna, I, there's nothing wrong with me voicing my opinion. Let's buy a new lawnmower. Some other brother says, I think it would be more economically feasible and a lot easier if we just paid somebody to mow the yard for us this year. But we talk about the pros and cons of that. And and whatever seems to be best, for, uh, you know, it, 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 we could probably come to a pretty good close agreement. I might walk away from that still saying, I still think we should have bought a new lawnmower uh, and done it ourselves. But. I don't have to. I don't have to go to war for that question. It's, it's not a matter that would that that has a sin versus righteousness consequence. What about uh, one that uh, that was mentioned by Aaron in his email about dimming the lights during prayer? You know, I would I would have strong opinions about that. You would have strong opinions about that, and we would probably base them on good biblical. Well, we might reasons. we might argue about what it would might lead to, for what, instance, or what might be the impression that others coming in might take, or, or what does it, it accomplish? Would it what would it accomplish, or would it be edifying? Is it would it be distracting? Would it be in decency and order? We would, and we'd base those our decisions based upon those scriptural premises, but there's going to be an element of judgment in in that, yeah. in, in the end, and we'd be have to. Be very careful about how we uh, we proceeded when there would be differences in judgment on that. Yeah, uh, in the chat room, guest eighty five sixty six says. So, what's on the list of must agree doctrinal issues? You know, I can honestly say that I have never tried to compose a list like that because even the list would be subject to some question. You know, my list is my list. No, it's not. I don't have a list. I don't write a list. 
But there is such a thing as the doctrine of of Christ in first or excuse me second John verse 9 whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ he hath both the father and the son if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not unto yourselves neither bid him god speed for he that biddeth him god speed is partaker of his evil deed and so uh, there, there is the doctrine of Christ. I, I've never sat down and tried to write out my own list of you must agree with me on these things. But we have this perfect inspiration. Um, Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 8, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So there, there's identifiable truth here. And again, I, I oppose the implication that we can't know the essential matters uh, of, of God's will. Uh, but as to sitting down and writing out my own list, I've ne- I, I can honestly say I have never even contemplated doing that, much less tried to do that. Would that not be a lot like having a creed? Seems like. Uh, 8566 says, isn't the doctrine of Christ uh, his position of deity and propitiation? Well, no, that's not, it's not limited to That's not to the that. whole of it. That's yeah. not the whole of it. It's, certainly that's included. Okay. Certainly that's included. All right. Uh, 877-381-4567, if you'd like Paul, to talk tonight. Paul said in Galatians 2 that he would not tolerate someone teaching error on circumcision. He said, by, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. No, it's that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And that was on circumcision. Yeah. That didn't have to do with the deity of Christ or or, the, or his propitiation for our sins. That was a specific issue on whether or not Gentiles had to be circumcised, the binding of the Old Testament law on Gentile converts. And Paul said, I wouldn't tolerate that for an hour, not for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might continue. So there's a lot of things on the list. You name what it is, and we'll try to decide. I think we can probably... Give us give us a subject. We'll say, yeah, we got to agree with that, or no, I don't think we have to agree about that. That seems judgment. That seems doctrine. Give give us give us a specific. I think we can identify it as doctrine or opinion. But as far as trying to comprise our own list, I think the word you use, money, is the right one. That's that's what creed making is all about. Well, if it it would seem to me that if it's doctrine, then that's what God has said or we're taught that we have to do. And so we have to agree on it. If it's judgment, we don't have to agree on it. Doctrine has to be agreed on because that's God's commands. That's God's word. That's what we're taught in the scriptures. So we have to agree about that. But if otherwise, it would, I would think, would fall into a matter of judgment, and then we're, we can disagree, but we can't be abusive about it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's let's go just a little bit further then with this. How do we deal with these disagreements? So we've got to decide if it's doctrine or opinion. And every, every specific, we'll just have to make that decision on every specific. Uh, then, if, if uh, let's talk about the, if, if it's opinion, submit. You can voice your opinion, but ultimately submit to others. You don't have to fight, and there should be no warring or strife over opinion. Yep. If it's doctrine, in other words, the, the, the preacher said something that I think I disagree with. I think he said something doctrinal that I think I disagree with. Uh, so what am I going to do? Well, I think a first thing is make sure that I really understood what he said. Because even a, a word taken out of context or, or misunderstood within the context in which it was stated 
can lead to a whole different uh, conclusion. And so uh, I need to I need to make sure I heard right. Uh, take notes, listen to the record the recordings of a sermon or a, a lesson or whatever, uh, and make sure I got it right. Plus, if it was just something that I'm not sure he said that exactly like I would like to have it said, I think brotherly love argues that we should give one another the benefit of the doubt. I think in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, when it, when Paul describes love, I think that the implication of, of a lot of those statements is I'm not looking to find fault. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just scratching around to see if I can find something to disagree about. I'm going to give my brother the benefit of the doubt. If if what he said could be taken one way or the other, I'm going to take it in. I'm going to take it in a good light, not a negative light. I'm not going to try to cause an issue where there doesn't have to be one. If though, it's clear that what the preacher said is wrong. Uh, there's just no way to. There's no way to to understand what he said other than understand that he said it wrong and that it was it was it was a, a contrary to the doctrine of Christ then I, I can't let that linger. I'm, I'm going to go to him and address the subject. Now, even in that, I can do that in ways that are helpful or I can do that in ways that are, are going to propagate error. You know, I, it's, it's how I approach A lot of times how you approach someone when you disagree will almost immediately affect the outcome of your, of your disagreement. That's exactly right. And so uh, find a time, find a good time uh, when we can sit down, open our Bibles, talk about this matter. If we would use those approaches, I think 99% of all issues would melt away pretty fast. But finally, when cases where the the doctrinal issue cannot be resolved, uh, then we, we... we can't be in unity when we don't agree on doctrine. And so then some some decision about moving forward in uh, separating from the one who has taught error might come to play. Okay. Uh, all right. Monty. You know, ultimately, Jesus taught us that in Matthew 18. He said, if we've got all against a brother, if I think someone has said something in error, I'm supposed to go to them and talk to them about it. Uh if we can't come to a, an agreement about what was said on whether it's doctrinal or not, then I can take other people with me to help uh, be witnesses against about what's said and maybe help teach each of us on the matter. You know, we, me and you might disagree, Greg, and we might need to bring a couple of other people in uh, to help discuss that. We've done that here before. Sure. And so, and then ultimately we've got to decide if that person's teaching error that we're going to have to take action and bring it before the church. But that's what Jesus taught, and that's how we can really go about resolving any situation we might have. If we disagree, we need to go talk to each other about it and make sure we accurately understand what each of us is saying and then proceed from there. I think you're exactly right. And certainly if it's a doctrinal matter, we've got a command in Second John verse 10, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive them not in your house, neither bid them Godspeed. Doctrinal matters require us to not maintain that uh, that fellowship. And again, that text that you re- just read there in Second John 9 through 11 indicates that we can know the doctrine of Christ and be able to make decisions based upon it. And and, and what's implied by a lot of people is it's not really knowable. Uh, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. And, and, and there's so much in the New Testament that says we can know. 
quickly before our break, uh, Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, has responded. He says, the type of unity authorized by the scriptures is unity in God's truth. John 8, 32, you'll know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Ephesians 4, 1 through 13, the case being that truth is objective, knowable, understandable, available for today, and is our only standard of authority. It should not be considered strange for the participants on the virtual Bible study to be in agreement with one another, Colossians 3.17, 2 John 9-11, through 11, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. While indeed there are matters of liberty in which there is room for disagreement, and matters of faith and doctrine, we must all speak the same thing. For the record, various individuals who differ with the host of this program on various issues have been permitted to voice their disagreements on various broadcasts. Greg, Jacob, and other brethren from college, you always, in a kind and respectful manner, Speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, and in view of eternity, seek to encourage the advocates of error to reject such and accept and obey only the truth of God, respecting his divine authority. Thank you, Kent, for that. I appreciate what Kent has said there. You know, uh, it was brought up to me by someone that they thought that we had in in, uh, a recent program or two been a little bit too adamant or disrespectful, and we commented about that a couple weeks ago. That's never our intention. Uh, that We don't think that's the purpose of the virtual Bible study. But on the other hand, we, we're, gonna, we're going to talk about what we believe with passion and emotion. So don't, don't, please don't mistake our passion for what we believe to be truth to, to, to be disrespectful. If we disagree, we're going to say so. And we're going to, we're going to forcefully try to indicate why. But again, uh, I think it's been a challenge for anyone who, who talks about these things where there's disagreements is making sure that your sure, tone is interpreted sure. and, and, the right and, way. And, and we're certainly subject to error in that matter. And so if, if we have crossed that line, forgive us. It was not our intention to do so, but uh, again, we're not perfect in that. But we do, what we do believe, we believe with conviction, and, and and we speak with conviction. Let's take a break, and we'll get back. We'll continue the discussion and get your thoughts. Uh, let us know what you think. We're going to get this week's bullet point, and we'll hopefully hear from you on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this. This is Greg Glenn with this week's bullet point. Questions about membership in a local congregation often arise. Questions like when, how, why. We believe that many such questions can be answered by studying the case of Saul of Tarsus, or the Apostle Paul, when he returned to Jerusalem following his conversion. In Acts chapter 9, beginning verse 26, we read, When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. We should notice several things from this text. First, the action was immediate. There was no long delay on Saul's part before seeking to identify with God's people. First, the action was immediate. There was no long delay on Saul's part before seeking to identify with God's people in Jerusalem. It seems obvious that Saul knew the benefit of close association with faithful brethren. He had experienced it in Damascus just before coming to Jerusalem. Oftentimes, folks today wait months, even years, before identifying with a local congregation. Clearly, local church membership is a part of God's plan. We miss out on something important when we fail to follow Saul's example of immediately seeking to join ourselves with a faithful church. 
Second, it was Saul who took the initiative in this matter. The King James Version says, quote, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, unquote. Other versions say he tried to or he was trying to. The point is, he made the effort. He did not wait for others to approach him. It was his responsibility to accomplish this, and he did not neglect to do so. Third, the church put him to the test. The Christians in Jerusalem needed to know of Saul's conversion and his faithfulness. Evidence was presented to them to verify that Saul was a faithful Christian. They were not obligated to receive him into their fellowship until they were convinced of his proper standing before God. And also notice that Saul was not put off or turned away by their desire to know these things about his former life. And finally, as soon as Paul was a part of that congregation, he got actively involved in the work that was being done. And so surely we can learn some important lessons from this text about membership in a local church. Are you a member of a faithful congregation? Are you active and working? If not, why not? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, Mommy. Hi, Tootwood. Um, this is the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program. We mentioned earlier our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Check it out and uh, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We'd love to hear from you with any questions, comments, or requests you might have. We're going to move on to a second part of our program. Uh, I hope we've dealt as thoroughly as, as we can, at least in this format, on the questions asked. Uh, yeah, th- thanks again to Aaron for that question. Yeah, I would just add one more thing. There's some question as whether how, how broad this question of doctrine is in the chat room, and maybe there's something we can dig into in a future episode of the Virtual Bible Study. But I remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 2 when the Lord was addressing the seven churches of Asia, he said to the church at Pergamos, I have a few things against thee because thou hast them there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols to commit fornication. Thou hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. There were two doctrinal issues. We don't know exactly what uh, what those were. I think the the doctrine of But Balaam's, it wasn't just the deity of Christ. It wasn't or, or, his, or his work of propitiation. It yeah. was more than that. It was the way they lived. Yeah, and so... Uh, you know, maybe a, a, a worthy discussion at some point is uh, a, a thorough definition of doctrine. But doctrine is is not just a, a, a narrow description of Jesus as the only begotten Son of God. All right. All right. Uh, 877-381-4567. Question number two tonight. All right. Question number two comes from a listener named Mike. And Mike says this, and this has to do with instrumental music. He says, In my studies, there seems to be a clear commandment to use instruments in temple worship. And then he quotes from 2 Chronicles 29, verse 25. He stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the way prescribed by David and Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets. All right. He says, I have not been able to find a definitive command to stop the use of instrumental music in worship, either in the Old Testament or New I do understand that we are not bound by the Old Testament. However, I'm unclear on the specific instruction that prohibits the use of musical instruments from Second Chronicles 29 to Pentecost and from Pentecost to today. If the argument for the prohibition is the silence of God's word on the subject, then the silence of God's word argument would also prevent hymn books, paid preachers, the support of Christian colleges, and so forth. In other words, there are good things that we do as Christians that the Bible is silent on. So why do we not do instrumental music in worship 
I do understand we're commanded to sing. I understand that singing does not require the use of instruments. I do not understand how the use of instruments in worship prevents singing. Can you explain your understanding on how instruments in worship prevents singing? Thank you, Mike, for your question. Good questions. Thanks, yeah. Mike. There's several things there, uh, uh, and, and I think really worthy of sort of breaking that down. Uh, he references the Old Testament, and and I think that maybe a first starting point here is to acknowledge that we, we agree that they used instruments of music under the Old Testament system uh, you know, I've actually heard people try to argue that against that. It was an invention that God didn't approve of. Yeah, and yeah. and, and I, I I come up way short on that. I yeah. think it's clear that they did use it, that God allowed it and approved it. Um, I, I don't have, any, but they did a whole lot of things under the Old Testament system that we don't do under the New Testament system. And 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 Mike says that he he understands. Uh, he even said, "I understand that we are not bound by the Old Testament." Not only are we not bound by the Old Testament, we're not authorized by the Old Testament. I would say it that way because uh, we're not bound to keep what's in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament does not provide authority for our religious actions today. Okay. Uh, and so we really can't go back to the Old Testament and say, well, see, they did it there. Why can't we do it t- today? Um, go ahead. Yeah. You know, one, one thought that comes to mind is uh, the subject of polygamy. Uh, polygamy was certainly authorized in the Old Testament. Authorized or at least allowed. Allowed. And I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where it explicitly says, don't be polygamous. It does say that each man should have his own wife, singular. And so we make a conclusion today that polygamy is no longer acceptable to God. Yeah. Um, If it was acceptable. In other words, you're saying, because he made the point, he's not been able to find a definitive command to stop the use of instrumental music in worship in the Old Testament or the New. And so... What Mike is suggesting is if there's, we know that they use them in the Old Testament, and we do, we agree. And if we can't find a place in the New Testament where it says stop doing that, then his his suggestion is that potentially then we could continue on with that Old Testament practice because we weren't commanded to stop doing it in the New Testament. If that were the case, I, I can think of a lot of things that maybe you would add to the list, things that we don't do, that they did do in the Old Testament, and that I can't find specific stop doing that or thou shalt not statements in the New Testament. Money, thoughts on that? Well, I agree because, you know, we, we mentioned a second ago, animal sacrifices, we don't do them as Christians. And we would say, and if asked why, we would say, well, that's part of the law of Moses, and we're, we don't function under the law of Moses now. That's been done away with. And so the same principle is involved anything that was under the law of Moses has been done away with. If we do things that are like that or similar in the New Testament law, it's not got anything to do with the fact that it was mentioned in the law of Moses or under temple worship. It's got to do with the fact that we find authority for it in the New Testament. And it's really that it really boils down to that. It's not that there's a stop command. It's there's not a start command. God yeah. was clear about this on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah were present signifying the law and the prophets mm-hmm. And, you know, in Peter's uh, haste, he says he wants to build three tabernacles. What's God's answer? This is my beloved son. Hear him. Hear him. In the presence of Moses, the great lawgiver, and Elijah, the great prophet. Do you follow Moses? Do you follow Elijah? No, you follow Christ. So what did Christ say about it? He's the authority now, not Moses, not Elijah. So we don't go back and say, well, they did it then. I can do it today. Yeah, Uh you know, Mike uses an expression here. I can't find a definitive command to stop the use of instrumental music. 
uh, and I, don't, I would actually agree with that. I don't think there, I don't think there's any definitive statement in the New Testament that says you got to stop using instrumental music. I don't find that. Uh, but as we've said, there's a whole lot of other things. That, there's not a definitive command that says we should stop ceremonial washings. There's not a definitive command that we should stop burning incense. I mean, you could make a, a long list of things that they did in the Old Testament, and the New Testament doesn't say stop doing that. But what the New Testament does say in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing to his cross, skip down to verse 16, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the holy day or of the, sa- of the new moons or of the Sabbath day. Uh, there's not a definitive command to stop a whole lot of things they did in the Old Testament, but there is a statement that that Old Testament system was nailed to the cross of Jesus. And therefore, if we're going to do something today with authority, we're going to have to find it in the New Testament, not the Old. Here's one that I haven't heard people going to the Old Testament for and saying, well, they did it in the Old Testament. We must be authorized to do it today. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and who, when they have chastened him, will not heed them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out of, to the elders of, it, of the city, the gate of the, to the gate of the city, and they shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So shall you put away the evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Not a lot of people going back to the Old Testament say, I didn't see a, a definitive instruction to stop stoning rebellious children. We need to be doing that today. If we're going to go back and we're going to do this, as Paul has said in Galatians chapter 5, if we're going back to the Old Testament for our justification, we've got to go all the way. We need to be doing that. If there's not a definitive instruction to stop stoning your rebellious children, then we're going to have to do that if we're going to go back in, to the Old Testament for the instrumental music. Yeah. Um, in, in James chapter 2, uh, whosoever, shall keep the whole, uh, whosoever shall keep the whole law and offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Uh, um, Verse 9, if you have respect to persons you commit sin, are convinced the law is transgressors. The implication of James is that if you're going to keep part of it, you're going to be obligated to keep it all. Yeah, you attempt to be justified in the law, you've fallen from grace. Uh, so you, if you, at verse 3, and again, I justify every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You go back to the Galatians old law, Galatians 5. Yeah. 5. Yeah. You go back to the old law for justification, you've got to keep all of it. So if we're going to say we're justified because the Old Testament, they did it, and the old law, they did it, and it didn't say to stop in the New Testament, then I need to go back and get all of the commands that they were told to do that were not explicitly said to stop in the New Testament, and I need to be doing those. Every one of them would be the the implication of that form of justification. Yeah. It, it would seem to me that the passage you read a minute ago, Greg, that talked about not uh, following these these Sabbath days or these new moons or past, and all these other feasts because all of that had been nailed to the cross, it seems to me reasonably clear that's a stop command for anything that had to do with the law of Moses. We're not going to do, because it, if it had to do with the laws of Moses, we're not bound by it anymore. Stop doing those kind of things and start following the law of Christ because that's what we're under now. I think so too. All right. Let's grab our last break. When we come back, we got we got a few, several more things we want to comment here on Mike's good email about instrumental music. 
And the chat room says we're tearing down a straw man instead of answering the question. Disagree with that. Uh, if you've got some more comments you'd like to share in the chat room on that line, send them in. Uh, give us a call, 877-381-4567. That's the best way for your voice to be heard, 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that he has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Four out of ten, that's 40% of highly religious people say they are very happy with the way things are going in life compared to 29% of those who are not highly religious. Nearly three out of four, 74% of highly religious people say they are very satisfied with family life compared to 67% of those who are not highly religious. That information is via the Religion News Service. The Word of God says in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room, uh, Doug has said, what about taking the name of God in vain? And the New Testament doesn't say that we can't, as far as I know. Uh, There's not a, you know, some, uh, we believe that the Ten Commandments of the law of Moses are repeated either verbatim or in principle in the New Testament with the exception of the Sabbath instruction, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We don't find that repeated in verbatim or in substance in the New Testament. But I do, th- there, there is, and I, I, I would agree that uh, not take the name of the Lord in vain is a harder one maybe to find it's certainly not specifically yeah, it's not expressly stated but there are statements like when Jesus taught about prayer in the sermon on the mount after this manner therefore pray ye our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name and the word hallowed would suggest to be held in high esteem and respect therefore you wouldn't do the opposite of that and take his name disrespectfully all right uh, and uh, guest 8566 says, Jesus broke bread and gave it to the disciples. He didn't give them bread on a tray, so then a tray must be wrong. We just had uh, several programs on authority and expedience and on liberties. Uh, 8566, we encourage you to go back to the archives from December uh, for answers uh, to that tray, or that question yeah. about the tray. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, we're going to talk about that here a little bit more as we go further into... Uh, um, Mike's question, he said, um, if the argument for 
silence of God's word. In other words, and, and I do believe that's how we're going to argue that we can't use instruments. They're not authorized. The, the scripture doesn't say anything uh, about using instruments of music. Uh, and, and, and we know that, this, that silence of, uh, God's silence is authoritative uh, because uh, in the book of Hebrews, the Hebrew writer uh, makes an argument uh, from silence uh, about the priesthood and the change of the priesthood in chapter 7 of Hebrews. Uh, he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, out of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Moses didn't say anything about Judah and priests. What he did say was priests must come from Levi, of the descendants of Aaron. Now, notice, and, and, and so the Hebrew writer is constructing an argument here, and his argument is that the silence of God is authoritative, that he said, he spoke of Levitical priests, descendants of Aaron. He didn't say anything at all about priest coming from Judah. He didn't say you can or you can't. He just didn't say anything at all. And the Hebrew writer there in Hebrews chapter 7 is making a whole argument on the basis of the fact that silence speaks volumes to us. I've heard that described in sermons for the thunderous silence of God. Along those lines, Doug in the chat room says, the problem with this approach is that it relies on what God hasn't said rather than examining what is permitted by what he has said. Does singing with accompaniment violate God's instruction? We should know before we assume we have authority to condemn those who sing and play. Well, if, uh, but what we need is positive authority. We need some sort of positive authority. Now, he notice, says the authority in Hebrews doesn't lie w- with what God spoke. Nothing about it lies with what he says, what he did say. Well, what well, Doug yeah, said well, right there really kind of explains it. He said with those who sing and play. There's two different activities there. We've only got authority for the one activity, which was singing. If God wanted us to play, he would have said sing and play, but he didn't say that. Uh, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a breakdown in the chat room again on this subject of Bible authority. The authority of Hebrews, Doug says, doesn't deal with what God said, spoke nothing about. It lies with what he did say. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's the same point we're making about singing. What did he say about music and worship in the New Testament? He said sing. It's so, so it's about what he did say. And, uh, and so, Doug, we agree with you. The authority in Hebrews doesn't lie with what God spoke nothing about. It lies with what he did say. Correct? And when it comes to New Testament worship, it is what he did say. What he did say was saying, and he didn't say anything at all about instrumental music. And therefore, the conclusion is that we're authorized to sing and not play instruments. And by the way, that's the way the New Testament Christians practiced it under the guidance of the inspired apostles. But, Doug, please see your point. Your point is the point. Your point is the point we're trying to make here. It's what God did say. What God did say, what he did authorize is singing. And that's what we do. He didn't say anything at all about instrumental music. And therefore, we have no authority for it. Just like they had no authority for priest from the tribe of Judah under the Old Testament system because God didn't say anything about that at all. So also, we don't have any authority for instrumental music because God didn't say anything about that at all. He said sing. All right. Um, in, in this email from Mike, he said, um, 
silence of God's word would also prevent hymn books. No, when we use hymn books, what do we end up doing? Singing. We're still singing. We're not... We're not doing something different. We're doing what God commanded us to do. And so, therefore, it doesn't books, change what we're doing. It doesn't change the action. Now, in the chat room, uh, um, the suggestion has been that instruments of music could be an aid to singing. Well, that might be an argument, but you have to deal with the, with the fact that you're actually now doing a separate act. Singing you're and playing play. and singing. And that's the object. That's what the objection has always been. Uh, if you're going to authorize instruments of music as an aid to singing, then you have to you have to deal with the the concern that that aid actually constitutes a a, a second act, whereas using the hymn book does not constitute an additional act. When we use a hymn book, we're still just singing. That's all we're doing. We're not doing anything else. Let's get to Kent's uh, email quickly before we're out of time tonight. It, it, he says, It is indeed the case that under the Mosaic Covenant, mechanical instrumental music was authorized in the temple, Second Chronicles 29, verse 25. However, we need to remember that today we are amenable to the New Testament of Christ, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, Hebrews 7, 11 through 19. The Mosaic Covenant was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2, 12-15, Galatians 3, 23-25. When one carefully examines the New Testament regarding acceptable worship under the covenant of Christ, one will find that there is no authority for the usage of mechanical instrumental music in worship of God from Pentecost in AD 30 forward. Because we must be governed by the authority of Christ, Colossians 3, 17, 2 John 9-11, through one does not need to find explicit prohibitions specifically negating the usage of mechanical instrumental music in worship to God, such as never been authorized by the New Testament of Christ. The concept of authority is a logical, rational principle recognized in all areas of life. A case in point, a pharmacist may not add a compound medication to a prescription just because there is not an explicit prohibition directly written on the record of the prescription. Silence does not authorize. One needs either specific or generic authority to find warrant for all of our actions. If authority cannot be found for what we do, then we need to discontinue the action. Hymn books are generally authorized in the divine requirement to sing, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. When I sing with a hymnal, I'm still just singing and only singing. Gospel preachers are authorized to receive financial support, 1 Corinthians 9.13 and 14. Education is the responsibility of the home, Ephesians 6, 1-4. If parents choose to educate their children in an environment where all the teachers are Christians, such as generally authorized by Ephesians 6, verse 4, however, the local church is not authorized to rear children and provide for their education. That is the work of the home. Formulating educational institutions as appendages to local New Testament churches is no more authorized of God than mechanical instrumental music in the worship of God. The challenge was extended to us to prove how the usage of mechanical instruments Instrumental music prevents our singing. Such prevents our singing acceptably unto God because an unauthorized type of music, mechanical instrumental music, added to singing produces an unauthorized form of music and thus a contaminated product. Oh, that, excellent, Kent. That was excellently well worded. I wanted to go back real quick to what he said because in, in Mike's email, he said uh, the silence of God's word would prevent hymn books. Would tell, he said it would prevent paid preachers. No, because uh, as Kent Pointed out, First Corinthians nine thirteen and fourteen. We have authority to pay preachers; those who labor in the word are worthy of their hire. Paul says, and so that's not a matter of silence. Christian colleges, the support of Christian colleges, that is prohibited. As and I think Kent's done an excellent job of lining that out in his email. Uh, and so 
again, it's just it's just a matter. It, it really boils all back down to what we've been dealing with a good bit on the virtual Bible study recently, and that is the authority. How how do we obtain authority from God's word, specifically from the New Testament, for what we do in work and worship serving Him? And and it's clear that there's quite a bit of of disagreement or lack of understanding on that subject of Bible authority, and we're just going to have to keep working on it. Doug asks if first if Colossians three sixteen, for instance, prohibits instruments. Does James five thirteen do the same? Yes, we believe it does. James five thirteen doesn't uh, doesn't say anything about instruments either. Right. It's it's a matter of silence. James five thirteen, you remember, is that verse says, "Is any merry? Let him sing psalms." Well, okay, sing psalms. That's well, that's what's authorized there. Uh, I think what he what he's arguing is, could I play could I play psalms with instrumental music privately? And I actually take position no on that. Don't have authority. Yeah. All right. Okay. So may Christians play instruments? Yes. That's not not in worship to God. That's a liberty. It's not. He hasn't given commands that would uh, explicit commands about what you do in your private personal. But if we're worshiping God, in worship to God, He has given commands. He has given commands. So in in just personal private practice, if I if I want to sing uh, Rocky Top with a guitar. Then I can do that. I tried to learn that once. I actually couldn't get it done. Uh, me and Stephen tried to learn Rocky Top so we could play it and sing it. But that's I'm not glad a, you didn't. That's not a psalm. That's, yeah. that, it's not worshiping God. All right. Okay. Uh, and um, so um, if the, if Doug or guest 8566, if you'd like to be a guest on the program next week, uh, send us an email. And Doug, the last comment in the, in the chat room, Doug, he says, Psalm means with accompaniment. I wish you had taken time to look at the scriptures in this day. We have done that numerous times on the virtual Bible study. That wasn't uh, that wasn't part of this question, but we have done that. Numer- Go in our archives and you'll find thorough discussion of the word solo uh, and what it means. And it does not suggest that we should use instrumental accompaniment in New Testament. Again, 8566 or Doug, if you would like to uh, be a part of the program next week, send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. Monty, final thoughts. We're out of time, but you get you get the uh, final thought here. It just boils down to what does the Bible say, as we mentioned a minute ago. Uh, as far as the singing issue, it says sing. It doesn't say sing and play or sing and anything else. It says sing, so that's what we do. That's what we have authority to do. Uh, we mentioned the silence of the scriptures. We can see that principle taught uh, in the when David wanted to build a temple. Nathan the prophet was instructed to go back, to, and God told him, says, I haven't asked anybody ever to build me a temple, and I'm not asking you to either, basically. That's paraphrasing it. But So silence, God expected us to honor his silence on a subject. He always has, and that's taught in the New Testament as well. So we just need to do what the Bible says, and if we'll just satisfy ourselves to stay within what the boundaries of the scriptures tells us to do we'll have our wagon loaded you know one of the things is that uh, the, our listeners have the trap they've fallen into is they've tried to justify their position by pointing out what they think are inconsistencies. inconsistencies which we don't believe are inconsistencies but it doesn't prove anything but if we yeah. are inconsistent it doesn't prove that you could do something else right uh, I, i'm cheating on my wife but you're robbing banks, so I'm okay cheating on my wife because you rob banks. Yeah. Oh, 
we're both we're both condemned if that's if that's the case. Exactly right. Uh, it doesn't prove anything. So again, uh, Duggar eighty five sixty six. If you'd like to be a part of the program, give us a call, send us an email, uh, and we can make arrangements for that next week. Uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. All right, we appreciate you listening. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.